Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we are taking a break from our normal programming to take a look at the movie Doctor Who and the Daleks, the theatrical film. We will be following our standard episode beats a little bit, but we will not be rating the movie out of five. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this film. To join on the discussion, you can check us out at TimeTeamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddy will give you a quick recap of the film. Paddington, over to you. Thank you very much. In the home of Doctor Who, the Doctor and his two granddaughters, Barbara and Susan, are reading a variety of scientific publications. Barbara hears the clock begin to chime and realises that her boyfriend, Ian Chesterton, will be arriving shortly for their date. She asks Susan to let him in while she finishes getting ready. Susan does so, and the well-meaning but bumbling Ian has his first meeting with Barbara's eccentric and scatterbrained grandfather. Ian, having accidentally squashed the sweets he brought for Barbara as a present, goes to sit down on another chair, but the doctor stops him as he's about to sit on a vital component for his new invention. He enthusiastically invites Ian to come and see it, despite Susan's reservations that he won't understand it. He is then brought outside and shown an old police box, which the doctor informs him is called TARDIS, which stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Ian is bewildered to see that it is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, and Susan and the Doctor explain how it functions. Barbara arrives, and when she goes to greet Ian, he accidentally backs into a lever, thereby activating TARDIS and sending them to a strange new world, Scarrow. Now from here, the story follows the majority of the Daleks serial, with the adventurers arriving at the Dalek city and meeting the malevolent occupants, nearly succumbing to the effects of radiation sickness, forging an alliance with the Thals to overcome the Daleks, and repair TARDIS so that they can leave Scarrow. The ending, however, is a bit different. Once they are back in TARDIS, Doctor Who confidently says that they will arrive back at their own time, but when Ian opens the doors, he sees a Roman legion advancing on them. He hurriedly shuts the doors and in a state of panic, blindly begins to press buttons and pull levers in an attempt to leave. That is the end of the summary. Cool, so it's very similar to the serial. A few few differences, mainly the introduction and the ending. Yeah. So how about I give you some trivia bits on this before we jump into having a chat about the movie as a whole. So the release date for this film was the 25th of June, 1965. It was written by Milton Subotsky. I think so you pronounce his name. Uh, he actually wrote both films, both this one and the one we'll be reviewing next week. And he passed away back in 1992. The director is Gordon Fleming. And he also directed both films, both this one and the one we're reviewing next week. And he passed away in 1995. Now, our cast. Our cast is different to our show cast. So it's important that we check this off. So as Doctor Who, we have Peter Cushing. Peter's probably best known for Governor Tarkin in Star Wars. However, he was also Baron Frankenstein and Professor Van Helsing in the Hammer films. And to be honest, he's had such an amazing acting history i couldn't name it all but those are sort of like the big i think those are probably the big three that a lot of people would know him for and it's not just professor van helsing it's professor van helsings he plays multiple incarnations of <laughs> professor van helsing <laughs> oh. yes and peter sadly passed away back in 1994 the film version of ian chesterton is played by roy castle he's probably best remembered for presenting Record Breakers, which was a children's TV program where basically they were trying to break world records. And he actually broke a number himself, which is quite cool. Towards the end of his life, though, he was an avid campaigner for the ban of smoking in public places, and he was actually awarded an OBE in 1992. Roy also passed away back in 1994. Barbara is played by Jenny Linden. Uh, her other works include Women in Love and Lily. She later voiced Professor Clist. Kleist? I don't know. Kleist, I think. Yeah, I think Kleist Kleist makes more sense. The other way sounds wrong. Um, (laughs) In the Big Finish Doctor Who audio story, Unregenerate. Susan is played by Roberta Tovey. She's known for her roles in Runaway Railway, Highwind in Jamaica, and Not in Front of the Children. She is the daughter of George Tovey, who actually plays Ernie Clements in Pyramids of Mars, which we will get to at some point. In roughly about maybe three years, there thereabouts. <laughs> yeah. Aladon is played by Barry Ingham. We also spoke about Barry, actually, when we talked about Mythmakers, because he played Paris in that particular TV serial. Barry passed away back in 2015. 
Lastly, as Ganatus, we have Michael Coles. He's known for Dracula AD 1972, another film with a weird title like next next one, and also Private Potter. Michael passed away in 2005. The Dracula 1972 AD is another one with Peter Cushing, so the crossover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do we go from having this show as a TV serial that was seven parts long, shouldn't have been that long, released every week on TV, with a whole different set of actors, to this film. So Amicus, the film production company, bought an option to make this story and two sequels from Terry Nation and the BBC for a grand total of £500. Interestingly, even though Paddy mentioned that the planet that they went to is Scarrow in his summary, we never actually get told the name of the planet in the film. It's never mentioned once that the planet is called Scarrow. Now, one thing that Paddy asked me when I was asking him... I, do we I want... thought it was, but... Run. No, I was saying I, th- I thought it was, but like I probably just, again, superimposed my own knowledge of the world onto it. No, it's specifically not mentioned, but it gets mentioned in next week's film that that's where they were from. So I think you may have gotten the two films oh, okay. merged in your brain. Now, one thing that Paddy asked me when I said, do we want to do a little bit of trivia for this rambling was, can you please find out why they use the war machines type of weapon rather than the standard Dalek weaponry? Because they have the weird smoke thing that serves multiple purposes in the war machines. So there's a reason for this. Uh, There's several, actually. The first reason is that they couldn't do the pause-neg effect on film. So... In the TV serial, when someone gets hit with a Dalek, or hit by a Dalek, the screen changes like pause neg, pause neg, pause neg, to give the idea of like a ray hitting them or something like that, right? Couldn't do that in the colour version on film. They didn't have the money to add a ray or a laser as a visual effect, so that went out to the window. They were considering using flamethrowers. But this was vetoed because they thought it would scare children and it was deemed to be incredibly dangerous to have on set. So in the end, they went in the other direction and went with fire extinguishers, which is essentially what those things are. By fire extinguisher. Now, can you refresh? Can you refresh my memory in terms of the release date? Did this come out before or after the chase? After, I believe. So this came out in. All right. June 1965. I think the chase had come out by then. Because they were using some of the Dalek from the chase. So, And just kind of going with the thing of, you know, using flamethrowers was uh, considered too scary for children, yet the mechanoids used them as their weapons in the chase. Yeah. Exit- but then again, I suppose it's for a more global audience. Yeah, it's also like the Daleks are a bit more mobile <laughs> than mechanoids. <laughs> Do you know? True. Um, maybe. Who knows? One thing that I noticed, and I remembered, it may have been actually our friends over in Half Measures, Dan and Paul, they reviewed this film a number of months ago at this point. Um, and I think it was Paul mentioned the little, I call them the speech lights, it's the little lights on top of the Dalek, that they were out of sync. And I was watching the film. And I had forgotten that someone had mentioned that previously. And I got really confused when the Daleks were talking. So it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just me. The speech lights, as I call them. I don't know if they have an actual name. Um, they were done completely incorrectly in the film. <laughs> right, because I have it in my notes that these, these Daleks, they're very polite. They have their hazard lights on the whole time. Yeah, no, that, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> Your man just didn't know that he was doing it wrong. Uh. Poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing is I couldn't find a reason for this. And if someone out there knows the reason, please like tweet us or message us and let us know. I don't know why they refer to the ship as just TARDIS rather than the TARDIS. I have a feeling that my own internal headcanon is that because 
Doctor Who in this one is just a human inventor. He drops the the because it's singular as opposed to... Um, now, granted, like, if it's the name of the ship, you would think you, it's not called, let's get to Millennium Falcon. It, yeah. it just doesn't have the same ring without the duh. It, the something or other. Also, who yeah. calls their ship? You know, if you're saying that, like, oh, TARDIS is uh, not anagram, what's the other word? Acronym. Is it acronym? For yeah. time and relative dimensions in space. Well, if you're going to take time and relative dimensions in space and make it into a name for an inanimate object <laughs> that in the film doesn't have a personality, right? Surely the word the <laughs> should come in front of us. The one thing throughout the film that was like, we need to get back to TARDIS. I'm like, it, it just sounds, it sounds uncomfortable in your mouth. <laughs> say it without the word the uh. at least to me it sounds maybe you think I'm weird but it sounds it sounds strange to me no it, it does sound strange like in the sense of like during the story recap like technically he's not called the doctor he's like he's a doctor whose last name was who so I'm like writing down the doctor just felt weird here in the story of this, or in the context of this story yeah, and like actually, um, I think we've discussed this before. That the way we usually do our notes is Paddy does all his notes first because he's way more prepared than I am, <laughs> and then I essentially go in and I scan the headings. And I don't read his actual notes, but I scan the headings to make sure I have all the key characters that Paddy wants to discuss. It saves me having to think of them later on, which is great. But I noticed that in your notes, you have him down as, like, in where you got your, like, character notes, you have him down yeah. as the Doctor. And in my notes, he's down as Doctor Who. Because be, he's not the Doctor, he's just a Doctor whose last name is Who. To be fair, that's a bit of laziness on my part, because I basically just copied the template we have, or that I have for, like, the story summary and all my notes. And it's just, like, it already had Ian and Barbara and Susan. I was like, eh. Okay. <laughs> Well, speaking of Ian and Barbara and Susan, should we go on to talk about the characters a little bit? Yeah, we should. So, um, I think what we'll do is we'll stick to our normal process. So, we talk about the Doctor first, then the companions, along with the story-based companions, and then we'll go on to the villains. Cool stuff. Well, we have Doctor Who. Yes, Doctor Who. Not the Doctor, just a Doctor Who happens to be called Who. (laughs) So, do you want to go first, or will I go first? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, the first thing I had in my notes was, like, if Hartnell was Yoda, hmm. then Cushing is, like, Kermit. <laughs> in the way that he walks. Yeah, he, he does walk very kind of... Cross with Big Bird. Yeah, it's very kind of a weird bow-legged walk. <laughs> it was the first thing that came to mind because, you know, obviously a key thing for us was obviously the whole personality of Hartnell's doctor. Yeah. And we could kind of boil it down to Yoda. <laughs> it was sort of the way we boiled it down. And he had his Yoda moments. And the only thing I could think of when looking at Peter Cushing was, this is Kermit. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Doctor Who is a very different man from the Doctor, though. Oh, um, absolutely. While he's a little bit scatterbrained in terms mm. of not always paying attention to things, he's way more caring and affectionate. Like, the scatterbrained thing is just scatterbrained. It's not being rude or, you know, disregarding something, something or he, someone. It's just scatterbrained. His scatterbrained phase reminded me like of a cross between Gandalf post resurrection and Tootles, the lost boy from Hook. <laughs> in that in that sort of, you know, like, wait, yes, that's who I yes, I am that person. Thank you for noticing. And then clearly, you know, he's lost his marbles. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was no deliberate kidnapping of people. That is good. It was purely an accident. Mm-hmm. And while yes, he did lie about the fluid link. The wink that he gives to Susan 
like there's a big difference between him and Susan kind of going, Era, let's go for a look in the city. Yeah. These two are scared. Sure, fuck it, it'll be fine. And those two sort of conspiring together for a bit of fun. And what happened in the serial, which was the first doctor being a dick. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. It, and lying to everybody, not... including Susan. Yeah, because like, it's not so much a my way or the highway in this sort of reg- regards thing. It's like, isn't this just a grand old adventure that we're on? Yeah. And there was also like immediate remorse. I think even more so than... Because we said in the serial that like the doctor felt remorseful after the fact. But I think Doctor Who, it was immediate. Do you know? Hmm. It was yeah. like, oh shit, I done fucked up. And like, there was no humming and hawing over it. It was just, no, I made it up. Forget it. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm really sorry. Don't, don't don't think about that anymore. Um, One thing that I did think was really interesting about Doctor Who, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Yeah. So in the serial... Ian is the one who fake kidnaps the female Thal in order to antagonize Aladon into fighting and agreeing then that the Thals should fight the Daleks. Mm. In the film, while yes, Ian is the one who takes her away, it's the doctor's idea. And he's the one who tries to rile them up in that way and i thought that was an interesting twist for the character what did you think it it is because like one thing that i noticed about the doctor in this one okay and i mm-hmm. like and i'm going to ask you kind of a very similar question like did you pick up on this the same way i did is that he doesn't seem to have that level of inner strength that the tv version has like in the sense of like the final resolution the doctor seems to like, hang back a bit, uh, whereas he lets the others uh, get involved. Whereas in the TV serial, he is kind of there, not so much front and center, but he is, he's in the thick of it. And I don't know whether <laughs> it's a weird one now because that's the sort of thing that that kind of inner strength that the TV version has would have gone hand in hand with the way that the doctor was the person to suggest, well, maybe, you know, you might fight for the the females of your species. So I did think it was a bit strange, all right, that he, that he would be the one to say that. And then obviously he lets Ian take the, the fallout for it because we'll get on to Ian in a moment. Uh, but, you know, he just lets Ian be the punching bag. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting what you're saying around the fact that he doesn't have as much, you know, potentially like inner strength. Um mm. Than the first doctor, I think that can be. I think it's true. I agree with you, and I think a large part of that comes from experience. Hmm. This is Doctor Who's first time, we're led to yeah. believe, off planet, whereas the Doctor's been traveling for potentially hundreds of years by this point. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's. I think it's a. For me, it was an interesting observation between the two. Absolutely, like it's, um, like. In a, in, a, in a weird kind of multiverse type of thing like you'd love to see like the two of them meet and just kind of get like the see their as, uh, appraisals of each other I think that would be kind of funny yeah I actually I'd love to know what William Hartnell's thoughts were on the two movies if there is such a a mention of it in like either a biography or some interview yeah I didn't see anything noted in like IMDB or the wiki uh, the TARDIS wiki or normal wikipedia hmm. i didn't see anything mentioned there but and usually they would they would mention those types of things but it might be like maybe in a book or something hmm. the last note i had on doctor who is i love his relationship with susan yeah point of clarification right susan in this is like what 11 Tw- 11 12 as opposed to the teenager that she is in the serial and they have such a cute dynamic <laughs> it's adorable <laughs> Only because I watched it very recently, it reminds me of like Professor Quirk and Lucy Pevensey from the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Yeah, really. And like, there's clearly a lot of love between them. Clearly, the two of them, um, they have a lot in common. And they're just a, a granddad and his grandkid, do you mm. know, which I loved because, you know, obviously we meet 
the doctor and susan in the tv show and they've been traveling for a while they've also been settled on earth for a couple of weeks slash months and you know we don't know how that travel started but i like to think that the dynamic we see between doctor who and susan is similar to what Hmm. the doctor and susan would have had when she was that age yeah do you know that like yeah yeah. In the, in the TV show, that's really a reason why he chose her to travel with him, you know? And so I like to think that maybe well, once upon a time they had this, like, science, you know, dynamic friendship between them. I Well, in recent years, there's been a whole heap of theories as to why Susan was with the Doctor at the start. And when we, as we go on in time, we might discuss, uh, discuss those, but now is not the time. Mm-hmm. I have one final note about the Doctor in this one, and it's more in relation to Peter Cushing. How mm-hmm. fucking tall is Peter Cushing? <laughs> <laughs> because like right when I was first introduced to Peter Cushing it was Grand Moff Tarkin yeah. now he spends an awful lot of that movie being stood next to Darth Vader and as we all know David Prowse was an incredibly tall fucking person but he never like Peter Cushing never felt like a tall person and like I've seen him in other stuff and again he never really you know really struck me as really large on the on the height barrier until I watched this movie and he towers over every single one of his co-stars. I think that's where I got the Kermit cross with Big Bird. <laughs> I think that's where the cross with Big Bird bit comes in. Because I agree with you. Um, in Star Wars, which again is where I know Peter Cushing from. He's with Vader. Hmm. Or he's sitting down. Yeah. Or he's with Vader and Leia. Hmm. And Carrie Fisher, God rest her soul was like five foot two or something <laughs> yeah she was incredibly short so it's very hard to get scale when your two sort of <laughs> balances are david prouse again god rest him who was a giant <laughs> mm. and carrie fisher who was incredibly short um so yeah i don't know if he's incredibly tall i we probably should have looked it up yeah, it, it reminds me of that uh, John Cleese, Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett sketch where they're each like representative of a class. And like Ronnie Corbett, of course, is he's so small and wee you could put him in your pocket. And then John Cleese is like, you could hang a light bulb off him. <laughs> but yeah, like so Peter Cushing is incredibly tall in this. And that's even with his little bendy legs <laughs> sticking out at weird <laughs> angles. But that's why I thought he was walking like that was because he was so tall. He was trying to make himself shorter. Yeah. Or was it like the Liam Neeson thing from Phantom Menace in the sense of like, you're too tall, you're going to cost us more money to get extra film. <laughs> Bend those knees, fucker. <laughs> Maybe. Did you have any other comments on the Doctor? No, that, that, that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. Okay, on to our companions. So we have mm-hmm. our classic trio, our original trio, Ian, Barbara, and Susan. Then we have the Thals. We'll get to them in a little bit. Who do you want to do first? So I have my thing of uh, Ian, Barbara, and Susan in that order. So I cool. would I stole my Ian. notes from you, so I am also in that order. <laughs> cool. So, Ian. The character of Ian Chesterton in this presentation is entirely fictitious. No identification with the actual person should be inferred. At all. Ever. No. (laughs) That was the immediate thought that came into my head. I have to put up that disclaimer that they put up at the end of every single fucking movie that's ever been made. In that Ian in this one is... Like, he is the most bumbling, incompetent... Like, just... Like almost Urkel like did I do that <laughs> type character like it's just complete night and day compared with uh, the, the William Russell version I 100% agree with you um... like you know that you're off to a bad start when he's first introduced by him knocking on the door too vigorously so that when Susan opens it he crashes into the coat stand yeah and like I think you and I may have discussed this in private before I am not a fan of awkward TV. Do you know, some people yeah. find slapstick, you know, bumblingness in comedy very funny. I don't like that type of comedy. I find it uncomfortable and it no. just makes me feel uncomfortable. 
Now, for me, the slapstick, it depends entirely upon, like, the situation, okay? In the sense of, okay, you know I'm a huge fan of the Marx Brothers, and yeah. they can be very slapsticky at times, but for them it works because of the whole concept that it's it's a comedy film which you're watching. Whereas with this, it's presented as, look, it's meant to be camp, but it's also presented as, like, a more serious campy sci-fi movie. And if Ian is to be your young hero, it, it just know the way that you start him off with just doesn't really work that way. Yeah, and I think I think the reason why like, the reason where it bothers me is when you have one character who acts like that. Like if you think mm. about the Marx Brothers, or even like something like Bottom, right? I loved yeah. Bottom as a kid growing up. Yeah. Everyone in that, or at least, you know, the main people you're looking at, they all kind of play on a similar level. Hmm. However, you have three scientists, Doctor Who, Barbara and Susan, and an idiot. And Ian is the only one who bumbles around, who has like stupid pratfalls. And they're the really like over-exaggerated pratfalls as well. Oh, like yeah, when he takes the punch from Aladdin, it, he does like a full three sixty pirouette before he falls to the floor. Yeah, and I, I, I don't like it. I don't like Ian being stupid. I don't like Ian being clumsy. They took everything that made Ian Ian hmm. and completely removed it. And the worst is you can't even say that it's a caricature of Ian because I think I would have liked it more had he been, you know, over the top bravado. Do you know, had he been a yeah. bit like, oh, what the fuck is his name from Futurama? Oh, Zap Brannigan. Yeah. <laughs> had they done Ian as Zap Brannigan, I actually probably would have preferred it more. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, um, no, damn it. No, I just have Zap Brannigan in a Doctor Who story. <laughs> <laughs> but like this Ian, he's clumsy, he's weak, he's cowardly is the one thing that really, like, as we were going through it, like, when they're going, you know, we have to go over the mountain and through the marsh and, hmm. you know, down the, to the woods or whatever. He gets these looks on his face of, I don't want to do that. What do you mean? Why do I have, like, he's such a coward throughout all of it. And I'm like, oh my God. See, and this is the thing now, is that I didn't mention it during the trivia, but Roy Castle was actually in possibly my favorite Carry On movie, uh, Carry On Up the Khyber. And in that movie, like he mm. plays like a British army officer and you know, he's, you know, carry on movies, they're camp, they're slapstick or whatever. But in that, he's way more competent than he is in a more serious movie here where he's like almost like a carry on character. Yeah. And I, I think because like I had liked him in that like, and I was looking for, oh yeah. Go on. I know I was just saying like I had liked him in um, Carrying Up the Kyber and like when I saw that he was in this movie I was like oh look I like him I think he'll be go a good fit in this movie and I think I was just very very disappointed. It was embarrassing to watch. Yeah. Particularly like we've gone through the entirety of the first Doctor's run we have lauded how much we have loved Ian how much we miss Ian now that he's not on the show anymore. This was another look at Ian and it was embarrassing and particularly particularly the ending hmm. where okay so they land so they leave Scarrow unnamed planet later to be called Scarrow they leave Scarrow they land Ian opens the doors and there's like a Roman column coming towards them a Roman legion and it's done in the worst like the footage is done so bad that it looks like the TARDIS is actually really small and the, yeah. the Roman soldiers are about to stand on them yeah <laughs> that that doesn't bother me right that's yeah. weird right but it was also the 60s right so that doesn't bother yeah. me too much what bothers me though is that Ian slams the door shut and then runs around the TARDIS being like did you see did you oh my god I have to show you and like he's turning dials to try and get the monitor to come on can't fix the monitor so he turns dials he pushes forward the levers that makes the TARDIS dematerialize he pulls it back he twists the knobs a bit more and he pushes forward the levers again he does this like three fucking times he could have moved them to god knows where yeah. and then god knows where again and then god knows where again and it's like it's so stupid because he knows that pushing the lever makes them move and it's like what are you doing and like the it's like the only competent parts of the movie where he seems competent later on. It's just again, it's you get the impression that it's just incredibly incredible luck on his part. Yeah, there was one bit where I thought they 
he redeemed himself a tiny bit. And then it completely gets shot to shit, like, two minutes later when they have Susan making fun of him. But when the bomb countdown is nearing one, uh, or nearing zero, rather, and Doctor Who is like, or Barbara, someone shouts at him to stop the bomb. Oh, yeah, it's the Doctor, and, or Doctor Who shouts at him to... Yeah. And he screams at the Daleks to get them all to turn around and fire at him, and then he hits the ground. Hmm. That is probably the most Ian thing he did in the entire fucking thing. <laughs> and like I said, it gets completely undone when, not five minutes later, Susan makes fun of him for wearing the cloak that the Thals give him. And then he has the bumbling stupid yeah. bit with the with the Roman Legion. It, oh. Yeah, it was fairly it was fairly bad. Yeah. So, will we move on down the list? Yeah, so um, we have Barbara Who. No, really, Barbara Who, because yeah. who the fuck was this person? Um, so, I have one note about this, right? In that Barbara in this movie comes across to me like if the Doctor and Susan didn't have to leave 1963, if they had, been, if they had actually stayed there for a couple of years... Yeah. And Susan had become like a mature kind of like a mature young lady about town. That's that and it has just become like again kind of doing the Chronicles of Narnia thing of where like she gets so caught up in being a grown up and like, you know, the real world that she forgets all about, you know, where she's come from and where they can go and all this type of stuff. And that's about it. For the rest of the movie, for for me anyway, she is a complete non entity. Like she does little to nothing in the story and she says even less. Yeah. I'm actually half tempted to go look up the script because I think she has maybe five sentences in the entire film. She has one one thing, all right. And I, 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 she has one one word line where she says Dalek to get the Dalek's attention and then she throws the mud in his eye stalk. And I'm, it's not mud this time, though. It's food. Oh, yeah. But, well... You know, the substance, <laughs> the yeah. illegal substance, in a, in a otherwise not so fair fight, um, but I I just there's nothing really that you can say about her because she again it is complete night and day comparison to the Barbara of the TV series. Yeah, and like they, the only thing she did was blind the Dalek, which I think was done better in the show because in the film she uses food. Yeah. And I think Ian does as well. So they both attack the eye stock with like really, really thick gravy or something. It looked rank, whatever the fuck it was. Basically looks like a mashed up sweet potato. Yeah. Whereas I think in the TV series, it was better because without telling anybody, she was working away getting all the dirt off their shoes. Just come up with a plan in her own head. Yeah without even discussing it with anybody but like that's the only thing that she did in the film that she also did in the show they didn't give her her iconic introduction to the daleks no like you imagine they, that they would have wanted to do a ver- like a play on that scene nope she didn't get that they didn't give her her awesome thal leggings no maybe because she started off in leggings and they didn't do the romantic interest with ganatus now we'll get to ganatus in a little bit but like they didn't bother doing that either and she is such a non-entity, right? This is an interesting thing for you. I don't know if you yeah. had this. On the Blu-ray, do you know, like when you load up a DVD or a Blu-ray, you have the menu screen. Yeah. And usually there's like a little clip of the film that will play in one corner, right? Yeah. For this film, it was basically the theme tune playing with like small clips of each of the characters. Except Barbara. She didn't even get a mention in the fucking menu on the DVD. <laughs> I think the only reason Barbara was in this film is because they needed a way to introduce a relatively young man to Mm. do the heavy lifting and it would have been creepy if they'd had a grandfather, a relatively young man and a little girl. So they needed to have someone of the young man's age to introduce him. That's the only reason why she's in the film. No, I'd agree with that. 
I know I completely agree with that. Also, in terms of the stuff that they left out, she didn't get her off uh, her awesome supported shotgun dropkick to a Dalek to send him Karini across the floor. Or like the fight with Ian. Her first fight with Ian, which I'm sure, I mean, I can kind of excuse them not having it because in the film it makes no sense, but it leads into something that I'll get to in my overall around mm. character development and stuff. But like, there's so much. Barbara was so amazing in the Daleks. Mm. Barbara, who is a non is a non thing. I'm just I'm just thinking of like that Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons meme. You know, it's like there's Barbara and then there's Barbara shaking the head. Yeah. Uh, will we will we move on to the the final part of the Trinity? Yeah. So we have Susan. Now, I made reference uh, way back when we did the censorites that this was the Matilda story we never ever got to see. Yeah. Here, this is definitely Matilda in space because she's <laughs> like an eleven-year-old super prodigy. In the sense of like, what 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 is she reading when you first see her? Like, she's reading like uh, a book about quantum relativity. Yeah. And like, she's it, like she's a complete child her- child heroine trope in this one, you know. Um, in the sense of like, she doesn't have that same reluctance to run back to the TARDIS to get the drugs that was left for them she, i think she, she's just a bit more like um what's the best way to put it she didn't look at the scanner this time type way you know yeah. <laughs> she's like the first one kind of poked the head out the door Ooh, what's going on here yeah i think this version of susan she's very cute mm. she's very intelligent like i said i love the relationship between her and doctor who now in fairness the two of them don't have any sort of relationship with the other two characters they barely talked to them. <laughs> well. Like both neither of them neither herself nor Doctor Who really talked to Barbara. No, they don't. Um and they interact with Ian only at the level that they have to. But her relationship with her grandfather is lovely. That's adorable. Yeah. I'd say she has him wrapped around her little finger. Oh totally. Yeah. I like this Susan but She's a little bit too perfect. Like you mentioned Matilda, right? Yeah. Matilda is one of my favorite children's books. Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite films. And it is one of my favorite musicals. I am a fan of Matilda, right? The thing about Matilda is, yes, Matilda is incredibly intelligent, which we see here. But in Matilda, Matilda has powers that activate based on her emotions, right? If she's angry or if she's scared, she can use these magical powers, right? Susan doesn't have emotions. No. She's a robot. <laughs> she's very data-like. Yeah, like you mentioned the fact that like she shows no fear going back into the into the forest. Even when Aladon taps her on the shoulder, she gasps a little bit. She's startled. But then inside TARDIS, she's like, no, it was a person tapped me on the shoulder. There's no, oh my, like, there's no freaking out. There's no nothing. When she deals with the Daleks, she just talks to them. She gets up and she walks away. And I'm like, okay, you're a little bit too perfect. <laughs> like, it, it, you sort of get the feeling that, like, as adorable as the actress was, and apparently her and Peter Cushing got along really, really well. Apparently, like, he loved working with her. Mm. She's a child actor and I get the sense that they were like, oh, don't be too frightened. And so she just read her lines. Yeah. Like, I think that's the one thing, as I said, um, I actually never thought of it on the flip side of it is that what she does come across as the child heroine trope is that she is ridiculously brave. There is a, not a complete lack of emotion, but there is a significant lack of emotion to make her when she's in peril, it's like, she's going to get out of this somehow, isn't she? You know? Yeah, I mean, another comparison, like, you made the Matilda comparison. Another comparison is probably, like, Hermione Granger, right? Yes. So, incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable. But again, Hermione shows her fears. Mm. And being brave, what's well, being brave in the face of what? If you're not afraid of anything or if you're not overcoming anything, is that even bravery or is that just you just existing? Hmm. you're just playing all the games on easy mode 
Yeah. Like I said, I think she's cute and adorable and I would be perfectly happy to see more of her. (laughs) (laughs) I just think, you know, if we're looking from a character perspective, which is what you and I do, they could have added a little bit more of TV Susan, which would have been way more believable in an 11 year old. Yeah. You know, being afraid to go on her own. Even just that would have been, I think, enough. You know? Yeah, because like it was a, it's a very, um, it was a very kind of a Frodo thing. It was like you know, I I will take it, and like, or I will do it. I will run out into the the irradiated wilds of this planet to find a drug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't need eight other fuckers to back me up on this one. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, Dax got this. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So that leaves our story-based or our movie-based companions of the Thals. You mean the cult of knockoff David Bowie's? Jesus Christ, put them back into black and white. Please, for the love of God, put them back into black and white. Also, production staff, a palette swap of the clothing doesn't constitute individuality. So don't think he got one over on me, fuckers, right? It's the exact same uniform. It's just some of them wear brown coats and some of them wear yellow coats. Also, one of them, do you like when they they discover when... Doctor Who discovers like they have mirrors. Holy shit! <laughs> Did your one spend way too long looking in the mirror fixing her hair? Yeah, like for like uh, th- that was the one thing that I, I was laughing at was that okay, your people are on the brink of starvation, your crop has failed, you know, you're in a hostile area. Why do you come across like the Herma- uh, sorry the the Aphrodite kids from like the Percy Jackson series? <laughs> totally. Um, so excluding the, the physical, <laughs> what did you think of the Thals in the film version? Honestly, I thought they were a lot worse, or not a lot worse. I, 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 I rate the, the Thals in the TV series higher than I rate the Thals in the movie. I'm the same. Not by much now, mind you, but because, you know, I've had my, uh, my issues with, uh, with the Thals, but it's... <laughs> I'll put it to this way, like, it'll probably come up in the overall, but I think for everyone it can be safe to assume that what, whatever characters we discuss in this won't really shape up to their TV counterparts. And the reason is, is that in the TV series you have, which we'll rounded up to say like 25 minutes, so you've got what, nearly, you've got the bones of about three hours mm. of, a stor- of a story versus an 88 minute story here. And you get, you, um, the characters that you've identified here, which is Antidus, Ganatus, and Aladon, they're basically a Cliff Notes versions of the, what they are in the movie or, or what they are in the TV series. So you can't get invested in them. They're all very samey, with the, as I said, with the exception of their palette swap clothing. And I don't buy into them. So, like, when Aladon gets pissy over the whole uh, we won't fight. And then, you know, he punches Ian as like, wait, we will fight. I don't buy it. Uh, Galatus, as you said, is a, he's an asshole. Like, I don't get that same level of, you know, he's the, he's the womanizer of the Thal race. Mm-hmm. And Antidus goes straight from being a token naysayer to the, jo- to joining the, she's lost the will to live br- brigade. Yeah, I didn't even include that last one, to be honest. Yeah. Because um, like, the main difference, so the Thals as a species mm-hmm. are stronger in the TV show. Yes. The Thal- the Thals as individuals are also stronger in the TV show. Because like, in the TV show, we had, what was the leader before Aladon? Temetus? T- Temetus, yeah. He's not even in the film. Well, he is, but he doesn't get named. None of no. these people have names. <laughs> Aside from Aladon and Ganatus, the other, the other, the others don't bother having names. No. Um, Aladon, like, again, if we think back, if we think back to the serial, Aladon was basically meant to be this sort of Greek Adonis type character, mm. and in his reveal in the film, they try to do that, but they don't have him act that way. Do you know? He just seems a bit stupid. And because they didn't include the bit about how the Thals used to be fighters in the past, the whole 
you can be fighters again for a good cause thing doesn't really ring true because from the film's perspective these people have always been pacifists yeah because um, they, they make one one casual reference to oh there was a great civilization here once upon a time and that's it yeah ganatus who i quite liked in the tv show mm-hmm. um you know he had that amazing relationship with barbara which mm-hmm. yeah i mean i hated him because he wasn't ian but like he was nice to her he was nice to both of them he was very accepting and he understood what needs to be done mm-hmm. um he's a dick in this like you if you just looked at ganatus you would never believe these people were pacifists no and like he's not nice to anybody and i'm like what the hell <laughs> He reminds me very much of Eldred from our review of the Time Meddler. Yeah. In the sense of like he's a complete antagonist who doesn't like any outsider and is just a he's essentially the village asshole. Yeah, which is unfortunate because, you know, as we mentioned in our rambling for Ian and Barbara, in the show, obviously yeah. Barbara has a much different relationship with him, and so does Ian. He and Ian um have some nice moments. And like they share leadership, whereas like in the TV show, when they say like the Ian's going with him, like the look on his face of "Are you fucking mm. serious?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to bring him with me. <laughs> what the shit? Um, but like to the point where in some of the non-canon spin-off stuff, so books and extended mm. media, they name their son after him. <laughs> I think I can say which. 100% confidence there is not a single child to come out of this relationship between this Ian and this Barbara. Oh god, I hope so. Like to close off our sort of companions bit, the thing that I found possibly the most annoying mm. is so Ian is a scientist in the TV show. He's not a scientist in the film. That's okay. Right, we're going with a human-based doctor, so I can understand them not wanting it to be all sciency, right? That that's fine. Barbara, though, is a scientist in the film, we assume, because she reads a book. Mm -hmm. But she does not do anything. Like, isn't it even Barbara who figured out the whole static electricity thing in the serial? Wasn't that Barbara who figured that out? Yes. Yeah, whereas here, it's mostly Doctor Who and Ian who figured it out. I was like, why did you go to the effort of having her read a science book rather than a history book and then never have her do anything science related for the entire film? I I don't know. I honestly don't. Like, There's so much about the, the character creation in this movie that I am kind of... I'd love to get like a more comprehensive behind the scenes, you know telling of it like someone's autobiography or even like a book about the making of it you know yeah shall we talk about the daleks i think we should and i don't have a huge pile of notes on them here other than as i said they're very you know nice in the sense that they keep their hazard lights going the whole time (laughs) although that has now been dispelled by the (laughs) the director not knowing what their purpose was um also they're very polite because when barbara shouts out dalek it just goes yes (laughs) (laughs) that that one reminded me of that poor butler character from the fucking Tomb Raider games that you just victimize between all the missions (laughs) so my thing with the Daleks in the film right is I like the colored designs I thought the design of them was actually really good Um, yeah they didn't look cheap like even if you sort of skip ahead a decade and compare mm. the Daleks in this film to the Daleks in like Genesis of the Daleks or something. Yeah. They look really good. Produce them. I think the colour works really well. Their use of colour on them was fantastic. What's their obsession with lava lamps? <laughs> All throughout their city. Lava lamps. <laughs> Why? <laughs> um they just um like them. I think like they just ooh look at the colors. <laughs> hmm. An interesting thing as well. I don't know if you picked up on this that um, I don't think it came up in the original, and we have to rewatch it. But like in the film, they seem to hate the casing. 
because they they repeatedly yeah. say like if we can solve this problem we can leave these like wretched machines behind we don't have to rely on them i don't remember them saying that in the tv show no they're i, I get i get the impression that in no, this is obviously we're we're talking about stuff that like we have foreknowledge of why the Daleks are the way they are, mm. uh, thanks to the genesis of the Daleks. But I have a feeling that even before that concept was explored, Terry Nation for the TV series knew that the Daleks are happy with their lot in life because it's made them the supreme supreme being on the planet. Uh, whereas here they feel more like you know a science experiment gone wrong yeah and I just want to say supreme being I had a, a friendly back and forth with a person on the Facebook page for Doctor Who fans who actually like the show over who is the supreme being Daleks or Lilu from the fifth element <laughs> um, overall though I will say um I thought the Daleks worked fine. I, they were grand. The lights were a bit fucked up, but that's understandable. Um, their ship was quite nice. Mm. Nice use of color. I th I think like Daleks. All right. I think it takes an awful lot to fuck up the Daleks. I like I I think I do. And even here, which like you know what we get into the overall who shock horror what will our final takes be on the movie. The Daleks will keep you invested in the movie no matter what. Yeah. Like, I'm saying that I like them and that they work quite well because I'm not a huge Daleks fan. I think I've said this to you before. I, the Daleks, for me, I'm not the biggest fan of them. Mm. And I liked them in this film. Um, usually, yeah. one of my things with the Daleks that irritates the shit of me, I hate when Daleks speak for too long. Their, their voice actually grates on my, like... <laughs> It's like someone is driving a drill into my head and their sentences weren't too long in this film, which sounds like a really weird thing to observe, but they only spoke for long enough that it didn't irritate me. Question, which do you find more irritating, the Daleks voices or the Cybermen voices from Ten Planet? The Daleks, because they never fucking change. <laughs> <laughs> As in, the Daleks will be the same, even now. <laughs> <laughs> and even now, their voices fucking irritate me. No offense, Nicholas Briggs, you're amazing, but fuck me. It, the, the sounds they make are so irritating. Oh. So, will we give our final thoughts on the what was to be the first chapter of a Dalek movie trilogy? Yeah, um, I'll be honest. Overall, I was disappointed. <laughs> um. Am I as disappointed as I was in the Gunfighters TV show? No, I will never be that disappointed. Will I keep my Blu-ray? Yes, there's some special features on it I haven't had a chance to watch yet. I knew based on the nature of the show versus film that there would be differences. But Jesus fucking Christ, Ian and Barbara were completely gutted. And Ian was remade as a bumbling and an idiot and Barbara just left as a husk. And what really disappoints me is I was really excited to see Ian and Barbara in this because in this, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> Apparently. We get more romantic interactions between Ian and Barbara on the show in Doctor Who and the Daleks in that serial than we do in this film where canonically they are dating. I don't get one romantic fucking notion between the two of them for the entire film. Which really bothered me because I'd been so looking forward to it. It was so unfair. Like, like I, I'm in complete agreement with you in the sense of, like, I don't think anything will ever be as bad as the gunfighters. But I don't think I'll go back and watch this movie. Um, especially, like, if I had seen it before I had watched the TV show, then maybe I, my opinion of things would be different. But knowing that the TV serial is out there, and I quite enjoy, I, I really do enjoy the first Alex story. Mm. I think I would take the, the hit on the extra time and watch the entirety of the Dalek serial again before I go back and watch uh, this film. 
like there's some things in it I like. I said I love the dynamic between Doctor Who and Susan. I thought that was mm. very very sweet. And he he keeps picking her up, and mm. he calls her Susie, and it's it's fucking adorable. Like, for no other reason, just watch, watch clips of those two together because that's adorable. Mm. I liked the music. They don't use a lot of like interstitial music, but they have like the same theme that plays through the whole film. I like that music. Yeah. But again, if I watched this before the Hartnell story, would I have liked it? I'll be honest, probably not. Like, we have said time and again that what makes who work, despite the fact that it's in black and white, despite the fact that the effects are shocking and the costumes are ridiculous, is the characters. I mean, there's a reason why the structure of our podcast is the way it is. Mm-hmm. When we were coming up with our podcast, and we were trying to decide on a structure. We're like, okay, we'll rip off <laughs> um, Mission Log with John and Norm's permission in terms of having a summary and having some trivia. But then whereas the guys talk about like morals, meanings and messages in every episode, we decided, no, what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who is actually the characters. Yeah. So that's where our focus is going to be. The characters can make the most dog shit script work the most terrible episode can be great if you have great characters again i love the web planet because the characters in it were good (laughs) right this movie is beautiful to look at it is phenomenal to look at right yeah the way they designed the tardis as or the way they designed tardis correction you know as if it's like hand built you know there's none of the clean white wall it's all these like handmade machines interconnecting with each other that's fantastic but the characters there's nothing there there's no character development ian starts off as a bumbling idiot he ends as a bumbling idiot doctor who starts off a little bit scatty brained he ends a little bit scatty brained susan starts off as a robot and ends as a robot and barbara isn't there and it's like Mm. you're missing what it is to be doctor who And I don't know if that's because they bought the story idea. They didn't buy the characters, do you know? Like, they bought the story idea from BBC and Terry Nation. Yeah. They bought the Daleks. And they picked a story to slot them into. And their focus was the Daleks. Because the Daleks were good. But for me, like, having watched the Hartnell era... And more importantly, the story that this film was based on, there is no comparison to be made whatsoever. The TV serial is better in every way that matters to me. I don't care if it's in black and white. I don't care if the effects are crap. I don't care if the, care if the costumes are crap. Because I can buy into the characters. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, you can have the most beautiful film ever made. If I don't believe your characters, your film's a, cro- a crock of shit. Yeah. I I think that's like the I think that's kind of the same with anyone in the sense of, like you can have a movie that's like even even nowadays you can have a movie that's visually stunning, mm. but if the, like if the characters, don't really bring you into the story, it, it just it won't work. Like if like I, I'll have if I'm going to see it in the cinema, I will have paid my money, and that's about as much as you'll ever get out of me for that movie. You know. Yeah. And whereas here, yeah, like I said, it it really does benefit from the big from a, a movie budget, but th- that's the only thing that I would give um, the kind of the thumbs up towards. Also, the very sixties psychedelic intro, <laughs> you know, with that weird kaleidoscope um, images and like the s- repetitive synthesizer music. Yeah, that's all we need. So, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Indeed. So, next week, uh, we're going to continue with Peter Cushing's portrayal of Doctor Who as we review the much-requested Daleks Invasion, Earth 2150 AD. Yeah, I I still don't... No. We'll talk about the title next week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, until then, guys. Bye. Bye -bye.